0: If you could trade a bench warmer for the greatest of all time, you'd do it, right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel, So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you possibly need to take control and take your business to that very next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks all lowercase. Go to shopify.com/ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. rank squad and welcome to champions league takeaway here on ranks fc my name is jack collins and i'll be your host today as we look through the last ever match day of the champions league group stage as you know it goodbye farewell of vida Seine to the old school format of the champions league this is it it's over it's done and joining me today it's our transfer group mr dean jones how you doing mate
1: yeah, I'm okay, mate. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. We're all being thrown into one big old league next season, aren't they? And then we've got this weird system with the playoffs. And yeah, we've got to be really strange. Hope it's good. I just really hope it's good. Still can't really figure out how it will definitely be better. But hopefully it'll be good.
0: Yeah, I mean, there were obviously some games over the last two days where we've seen complete dead rubbers. There have been groups completely decided before Mm. the last games. And I suppose it probably takes away from that. There's going to be more relying on every game. So there's something to be said for that. But equally, you look at Group F tonight and we'll get onto it. But one of the most entertaining, exciting endings to a group that we've ever seen. And so we'll be losing that as well. It's all, yeah, there are positives and negatives, I assume. Yeah. We have, though, Dean, a last 16 seeded, unseeded, and we have an eight-team drop-off into the Europa League playoffs as well. So just before we get started and get into our takeaways from all the games this week, just wanted to basically do the admin and read them out. So (laughs) the seeded teams of the last 16 are Bayern, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, Atletico Madrid, Dortmund, Manchester City and Barcelona. The unseeded teams, Copenhagen, PSV Eindhoven, Napoli, Inter, Lazio, PSG, RB Leipzig and Porto. And the eight teams dropping into those Europa League playoffs are Galatasaray, Lens, Braga, Benfica, Feyenoord, Milan, Young Boys and Shakhtar Donetsk. It's pretty cool, I think, in terms of the way it's laid out. I would just say, though, obviously, a lot of chat is made about winning the group of becoming the seeded team. You get up against Napoli, Inter, PSG, to an extent, Leipzig, Lazio and Porto, mm. you're now looking at that and going, oh, well, it's not within that that beneficial to win the group, has it?
1: Not really. No, that is, that is a good point, actually. Um, ultimately, you can't read too much into it, can you? I mean, the form is going to change as well by the time we get to the knockouts for a, a lot of these teams and winning the group is likely to give you the best chance of getting a weaker opponent but ultimately often it doesn't turn out to be the case
0: yeah yeah i mean it's it's one way or the other we'll start with tonight i think dj and it was madness in group f as we mentioned newcastle united lost 2-1 at st james's park to ac milan became the second english team to finish bottom of the group in this year's competition and drop out of the European spots completely. They will not have European football in the spring. Given Andy Howe's injury list at the moment, I imagine he might not be too worried about that.
1: Yeah, I. This is kind of my takeaway, mate. They have sacrificed a spot in the Europa League here. They could have had it, and I'm. I can't get my head around whether this is wise or not. I obviously, they didn't do it on purpose. Like they didn't d- decide to end up with no European football, but at one one they didn't have to take the approach that they took. They didn't have to go and lose that game. But it felt like their desire to remain in the Champions League left them so vulnerable on the counter that there was always a good chance, possibly even a better chance, that it was going to be AC Milan that ran away and scored the second goal, than it was to be Newcastle. Um, you know, you look at Milan, especially because of the subs they brought on in the second half. I think bringing on uh, Jovic and Chuck Oise was pretty significant in the end. Well, um, I mean,
0: the three substitutes combined for the second Milan goal. So yeah, yeah I think but, Pioli got that one spot on.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't, not even just the actual goal, just the Milan was so, they were beaten in the first half, like comprehensively and like, they were the second best team. But the in the second half, they, they were very different. And part of that is because they were allowed to break away in the manner that they were. And... Look, part of me feels this is all very raw and fresh because we're literally talking as the game was finished, and I know that there'll be a lot of like positivity towards Newcastle for their approach. and Alan Shearer is tweeting, so near yet so far. Well done, Newcastle. But it feels a little bit to me like Newcastle are running before they can walk here, because the Europa League is a pretty good level for Newcastle to be at. They've they've kind of skipped the the stages of growth that you would normally go through yeah, to get to being okay. this Champions League-type team. And that's to be honest, you just read out those Europa League teams that are in there now. Newcastle right now are more suited to being in with that bunch of teams than they are with the teams that are going to be in the, the top pot in the, in the Champions League or whatever. So I'm really, really torn over what this is for Newcastle because... They want everything and they want it right now. And it feels a bit strange to me because this is a club that have a history of coming up short and winning nothing. And it, I just think that the Europa League could have been quite good for them. I know you've you pointed out the injuries and I understand that. And look, you could also flip that and say, well, it gives them a better chance now of qualifying for the Champions League again through their league position because it's all they will have to focus on as well as, I don't know, try and win the Carabao Cup. But also... My other takeaway from this is that this is a real test of loyalty because how long do the ownership see this through with Eddie Howe and these players? Because there will be more of a temptation to seek that superstardom that I suspect, and I think many suspect, that they truly crave. I mean, even today there's links with Jose Mourinho being the successor to to Eddie Howe. You go back to when the takeover first happened and, and look at, I don't know, Mbappe and Harry Kane and these guys being being linked to Newcastle. They're involved in the Saudi Pro League and you see the, the players that they're trying to get there into those clubs. They want big names. And I don't necessarily think that that's right either. But tonight, because of the way that Newcastle went all out for that second goal, I feel like everybody that's played a part tonight is suddenly a little bit vulnerable to still being there in a year's time?
0: Maybe. I mean you've spoken at length before about the FFP Ramifications that Newcastle have to abide by, the fact that they are being watched so carefully, considering how much money well, Jan, they do have. Well, Jan, this summer
1: they will go again, mate. They oh, will I don't go get again. me wrong.
0: Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're not going to continue to grow. I don't think that by by any means. But they do have to be careful in the way that they build it, and it's going to involve of evolution rather than revolution. I, I think, think it's because... more
1: how that I'm concerned for.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. I do think that just on that point about the way that they chase the game, if PSG are winning at Borussia Dortmund do Newcastle go and change chase the game in the way they do probably not I think that the fact that it was there for the taking if they had got that second goal at one all and suddenly the pressure's heaped back onto PSG is suddenly something that they have to think about and 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 I think that in that context it probably makes a little bit more sense than than actually if they'd gone chasing this when they were already out and they were hoping against hope that you know that Borussia Dortmund were coming from behind to get something against PSG and then they lost their Europa League spot. Yeah. I'd probably be more tempted to agree with you, but because the opportunity felt like it was there and they will have been, you know, th- those players and m- the managers and the staff will have been updated on what was going on at Signal Iduna Park or the Westfalenstadion, as it's properly mm. called, throughout the night. And they will have been told, you know, this is on if you can get that second goal at one all. I-, I can understand them throwing caution to the wind a little bit in that regard. Although I do think you're right in that, mm the Europa League felt like a good competition, a good level, and also something that Newcastle could set their sights on firmly winning as opposed yeah, like, to this Champions League last 16.
1: I think you try and win the Carabao Cup and the Europa League before you try and win the Premier League and the Champions League. That seems like a more logical pathway to belonging at the Evolution, top. Evolution or revolution, right? Yeah. And I, I, I really, do, I, I don't, mean to sit here like criticizing Newcastle because it was a fantastic game to watch and I loved it Um, but because I was so I wasn't emotional about the game at all and I just literally just sat back very neutral and watched the way it unfolded and it just seemed pretty obvious that Milan were going to win it in that last 20 minutes because of the way that they were Newcastle being and I don't even think it's necessarily naivety. I think it's just a, it was honestly a desperation to remain in the Champions League, and you know I think AC Milan would have been as desperate for that too. I don't. Milan fans aren't going to be like that excited to be in the Europa League, are they? I think Newcastle fans probably would have been more excited about Europa League trips than than any Milan fans are going to be. They're not going to look forward to the Thursday night action particularly. But they've yeah. got it. And it's because of probably that, that... Maybe it's that little experience that saw him over. I mean... A little bit of
0: nous, yeah. yeah,
1: maybe, mate. When you've got... to say, you've got Pulisic. I mean, Giroud's pass um, on that goal uh, is brilliant to Pulisic. I, I think it's it's so, so good. I thought it was a fluke at first. I thought it was like a miss hit, And it, it wasn't. And just those little things that Newcastle haven't got yet. And that's why I think ultimately... The Champions League was just a step too far, but they gave it a really good crap. Yeah, in an incredibly
0: difficult group as oh, well. absolutely. I think, as yeah, yeah. As other as groups they'd you know, probably gone through. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's just talk about the other game in this group. Borussia Dortmund won, PSG won. My big takeaway was that both of these teams are incredibly profligate in front of goal. <laughs> it was an exercise in profligacy. And so much of this, it, this should have been three all at half time. There were so many chances for both sides. I thought Borussia Dortmund probably edged the first half. PSG, the better side in the second. But there is a sense, I think, around this PSG side that something isn't quite clicking. Now, there were key players out. Usman Dembele missing. Gonzalo Ramos nowhere to be seen. There are some you know big parts of this PSG side that haven't quite all got there at the same time yet. But equally, there is an element of them that you're thinking... This could be, you know, it, it didn't turn out to be this way. They have obviously got through with the one-all draw. But if that result at St. James's Park goes the other way, and as we spoke about, it could, it could quite easily have, then PSG would be currently looking or staring down the barrel of being in the Europa League, something that hasn't happened yeah. in, what, a decade. So the fact that they were unable to convert this second-half dominance into goals... They were a little bit unlucky on, on one particular call. It was slightly offside from Kylian Mbappe. It's the correct call, but it was just the ball was delayed a split second too too long. And Hakimi probably should have released it a little bit earlier, but it was a good move. There were some really nice sweeping moments. There were some incredible blocks on the line. There was one in the first half from Nicolas Sula. No idea how he gets to the ball. Mbappe goes around the keeper, he sort of sticks his leg in the air and diverts it over the bar. Some stunning stuff. But... For all that and for all of those, there were also lots of opportunities where PSG fired straight down Gregor Kerbel's neck. There were opportunities where they just sliced wide of goal when when the opportunity to to start an overload was on. And they had to look to Warren Zaire Emery to actually be the man to dig them out of trouble here. The 17-year-old who's become such a mainstay in the middle of the park, and don't get me wrong, this isn't to take away from his talent or his ability, the fact that PSG are relying on a player of that age and inexperience to be the one digging them out of trouble when they're right in the mix against it in the last day of the Champions League is pretty telling, I think, at at this point. This squad have not got to where they need to be. And there have been moments in the last couple of weeks, I think, that we've seen from PSG where they've been a little bit lucky. They were obviously in the last game against Newcastle in, in, in that decision they got at the end. Also in a couple of games in the league where you're like, ooh, you're not quite at it yet. And I'm not sure what it is. And I do believe Luis Enrique will get there because I think Luis Enrique is a wonderful manager. But something isn't quite right with them just yet. And by the time that February comes around, we might be talking about a completely different side that are fully in gear and no one will want to play. But right now, I think if you are drawing PSG and you're one of the proper big guns of this competition at your, you know, Man City's, your Real Madrid's, you're probably looking at that and going, winnable. They can't score goals.
1: Yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, they are unbeaten in their last six now, PSG. Um, so maybe they are starting to turn a corner. Um, their last defeat was actually against AC Milan in, in the Champions League. Um, but they don't feel convincing, I think is, is probably fair. And I think that, look, maybe it's... Mate, they made so many changes. They, they This team has really gone through an overhaul. So... I think any side to, that made the amount of... I was talking at the start of the season about how excited I was about PSG and I might actually like them now because they're being built differently. And so, you know, we'd have to say, okay, well, they're not as good as they were. You know, this this team has probably fallen away since since Neymar and Messi, etc.
0: Although those players didn't step up for them in the Champions League Exactly, either, so yeah. So maybe
1: the, overall, this turns out to be better over the next couple of these, at least they're building something here whereas that was like all or nothing so maybe in a way this is more interesting yeah it's a more sustainable project I think Possibly, but yeah. there's a
0: long way to go it feels after a performance like that tonight even if they were dominant in the second half another team who seems to be on the rocks uh, probably far more on the rocks than PSG to be honest are Barcelona beaten 3-2 at Antwerp two losses in a week, Dean, they lost to Girona at home at the weekend. They've lost to Antwerp. That's incredible in that and you say it like that. They've still topped the group. There's four losses in their last nine. And suddenly that game against Valencia, I think, at the weekend mm. looks like a real, oh my God, they have to win that game all of a sudden, out, out of nowhere. Now, people will be going, pass and top the group, what are you on about? But they only top the group because the, you know, performances in in the earlier games. And actually what Mm -hmm. we've seen from them in the last couple of weeks has been really unconvincing. Yes, they have injury problems. Yes, there are issues. But a performance tonight from Oriol Romeo that he will want to forget for the rest of his life. Two Two mistakes for both of the first two Antwerp goals. Granted, he's not helped out loads by his goalkeeper for the first one, but he gives the ball away on the edge of his own box for the second. Barcelona come back and equalize twice. The second one in sort of the 88th minute from Mark Gue, who's 17 years old. And to be fair, the, the first goal is completely created by 16-year-old Lemini So the future remains bright. But from that moment, add 2 all, you go, okay, sigh of relief. They haven't lost to the team that haven't picked up a point for the entirety of this Champions League campaign so far. A team they beat 6-0 in the first game of this group stage. And then Antwerp goes straight up the other end and score. And it's it's almost kind of Unbelievable stuff. And look, shout out to the Antwerp crowd who were there in numbers, an amazing night for them. And they got this over the line and they got to celebrate that massive win against Barcelona. That's so cool. But you've got to look at this Barcelona squad, even even if it was was much changed and there was a lot of rotation today and think, what on earth is going
1: on? Yeah, I mean, look, Xavi's getting a lot of stick right now um, and he's under...
0: I it's think, hard to defend him after this kind of performance, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's under growing pressure, I think you'd have to say. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if not too far in the distant future, his job is more seriously under some threat. I mean, I saw one post, which I've just managed to dig out there as, as, you, were, as you were talking, um, from a Twitter page, Barca Universal. Uh, they put out, debate, who is to blame, Xabi, the players, or the board? Um, and... Xavi gets definitely the most amount of comments. Uh, The type being Xavi, he is mid. Uh, You will see it eventually, everyone. Um, Someone else said, the players play according to his instructions. It has to be down to Xavi. Xavi seems to lack the technical know-how on how this team should play. There's no cohesiveness from defence to midfield to attack. We barely have any smooth transitions. Why is Lewandowski still starting? Um, well, the reason that Lewandowski is still starting is because they don't really have any other options apart from a
0: 17-year-old no. they've nabbed out you, the academy. Yeah, but they do you can't have leave Lewandowski Vitor. out in the moment like that. You can't. And they, you do have Vitor okay on the way, so that is something to... But he's a youngster as well, and throwing but, him at the deep end isn't probably the answer either. You know, for the board, like, sacking Xavi is a big
1: call. <laughs> and I don't think Especially that's when good. there's not an obvious come.
0: candidate to come in,
1: I think. Yeah, so... We'll see. I mean, this is a, a storyline that's certainly going to begin to play out a little more, more now uh, because losing to teams of that size in the space of a week suddenly changes um, the reading of a season. And Barca were already, we've talked about it various times on Patreon and a couple of times on this main pod, that they're unconvincing even when they win. Just kind of fine margins a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, really interesting times. I just want to give a shout out to George Illenkenner, who scored the
0: third goal last minute of this game, put through on goal, really calm finish. Um, and I saw a tweet from football talent scout Jacek Kulig, who's on there as F talent scout on Twitter. And he said in his last three games, he got 81 minutes against Charleroi in the Belgian Cup and he scored twice. 13 minutes against Circle Brugge in the Jupiter Pro League, scored. 11 minutes against Barcelona in the Champions League, scored. 17 years of age. Something very mm-hmm. special. Nice touch that the two goal scorers at the end of this game, both 17. The future is now. The future is bright. But yeah, definitely wow. something to keep an eye on there. Um, cool. We'll rattle through the games and the rest of this group. There was an absolutely barnstorming game in the other one in this group Porto won 5-3 at the Dragao against Shakhtar Donetsk first off (laughs) Wenderson Galeno loves playing against Shakhtar I think if I'm not mistaken it's four goals and an assist in his two games against them in the Champions League group stages this year and he deserves some praise and some credit because his start to like well he was at Porto he left Porto to go to Praga after basically not being able to break into the team, was brought back after Porto sold Luis Diaz to Liverpool mm-hmm. and struggled to begin with to get into this team to make his way and actually has become a really key part of, of the way that this side works under Conceicao, And he's so much, you know, a key, key cog in the way that they attack and the way that the two front men get into the game. I really, really enjoy watching him play and have done for a long while. He's been a, someone who I've wanted to see. So you've heard me banging on about him on here for a while. But he's just really starting to to show his worth again, I think, in this Porto side. And it's really nice to see for a player who was pretty derided on his return to the club. This game was mad. I mean, he scored. Then Porto had, you know, Porto were absolutely furious about the Shakhtar equaliser because the linesman put his flag up. The ref wave play on. Shakhtar went through and scored. The goal was then checked for offside. It was given as not offside, but a couple of the Porto defenders had just stopped because the flag went up. Now, obviously, play to the whistle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you expect when the flag goes up, the referee to go, "Yeah, fair enough," and mm-hmm. and, and blow up as well. And they were absolutely livid. Sao was booked. I think I think Diogo Costa was booked as well. It was all very very confusing. They took the lead again. And they were pegged back again <laughs> to 2-2 by the fact that by a goal that they thought was a foul. So everyone was absolutely apoplectic in the Gregal. Everyone very, very angry. Thankfully, they were able to to get the job done. Teremi scored a good goal. Um, and then Francisco Conce Sal, who was his son of the coach, back from Ajax on loan after that move didn't really work out for him, came on and scored with his first touch. Absolutely <laughs> sensational. Shacked up all one back. They got a late one. It was all chaos towards the end. Mm. Shagdal had to win um to, to make it count and and to get through in place of Porto. So they obviously threw caution to the wind, but a really, really entertaining game at the same time and one that one that piqued interests, I think. It was mm. one where both teams let loose. Sometimes both teams need to win and they're quite cagey. This was one where both teams needed to win and just let loose. And we had a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, shout nice. out to those two teams. Very, very interesting. Yeah. And Shakhtar are going to be fun in the Europa League, I think. They've shown that they can hang with the big boys uh, at this point. Um, yeah, Right, onwards. Atleti beat Lazio 2-0. Very comfortable. Very, very, very comfortable, this. And it considering it was a shootout to see who won the group, I don't think it should have been this comfortable for this Atleti side. But... They controlled the game from the absolute get-go. Griezmann scored really early on. He now is joint top scorer in the Champions League with a couple of others, including Alvaro Morata, who should have gone outright top, missed an absolute sitter. Um, and then, yeah, game was wrapped up. Later on, Samuel Lino scoring a good goal. Atleti had another one ruled out for an offside. There were various chances to make this lead come more comfortable than it needed to be. But, yeah, I thought this was one of their better performances. Atleti, they were... In cruise control from almost minute one, that's theo barely registered, and it was a, a a very commanding display of why teams will fear them going into the last sixteen. Yeah. So, yeah. shout to Adetti. At and in the other game in that group, Celtic finally ended the curse. They beat Feyenoord 2-1. It ended a run of 15 Champions League games Incredible. without a win and was also Celtic's first home win in the competition in a decade. And it was <laughs> it was dramatic as well. So Celtic went 1-0 up from a penalty. Lewis Palmer put it away. Um, they were pegged back. Feyenoord had a really good chance early on and then really didn't offer very much until late on when Minter looked like he was going to extend that winless record by popping up at the back post in sort of the 83rd, 84th minute. But in added time, Lager Bielko, someone that Celtic signed in the summer, a centre-back Swedish, popped up with a winner. And it was, you know, great, great play from Matt O'Reilly to set it up again. I said at the weekend, I don't think, you know, aside from maybe Jude Bellingham at, at Real Madrid, I'm not sure there's a player more important to their side than Matt O'Reilly at Celtic. He is the absolute nucleus of everything they do going forwards, in the middle of the park, winning the ball back. He is a sensational footballer and it will not be very long before Matt O'Reilly is knocking around at a, you know, an even bigger club oh, than Celtic. Mate. He is he is that talented.
1: Yeah, don't say that around uh, around any other Celtic fans mate because that's that's the last thing that that anyone around there needs right now Matt O'Reilly leaving they need to build the club upon him and build him a statue maybe in a couple of years if he stays because um yeah fulfilling all his potential there there's definitely a, a couple of clubs in the premier league uh looking at him but brendan rogers cannot let him go
0: no he won't go in january i don't think anyway, no no chance he, no definitely no chance. it would it would it would probably bring the entire celtic castle crumbling yeah. down but shouts out brendan for for breaking that streak and look give celtic hope going into we would imagine is next year's competition, given the lead at the top of yep. the Scottish Premiership. Um, a couple more. Sveana Zvezda, two, Manchester City, three. A night for City's young boys. Um, not the not the other ones in their group. Not the other team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not the team, um, young boys. Some great stuff here. Really, really enjoyed this game. And I wasn't expecting to. I sort of stuck it on to be like, It was an entertaining one. Oh, well. Yeah, well, this, I on in the background. Considering, yeah. considering this group was completely and utterly done, yeah, there was, there was nothing to decide. City had won the group, Leipzig had secured second, Young Boys had secured third, and Red Star knew that they weren't going to be getting anything out of it. It was really, really fun. There was a lot of rotation from Pep Guardiola, three academy graduates starting for City, Rico Lewis, who we've seen a fair bit of, Oscar Bob, who we've seen a little bit of, and then debutant Micah Hamilton, um, as well as a couple of starts for Calvin Phillips, Sergio Gomez, and Stefan Ortega in goal as well. And it was Hamilton who stole the headlines. Um, yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Not yeah. throwing away his shot, Hamilton. Um, it was <laughs> it was very very enjoyable. The the goal he scored to begin with is brilliant, a brilliant strike after some really nice play down that right right wing and his interview after he's like i don't even normally play on the right wing it was great <laughs> i was like it's such a fun interview you can you can check it out he's like i didn't know what to say i didn't know what to say when pep put me in the team i don't know what to say now I'm just having a great day and i was like yeah that's, that's exactly the kind of oh, kind of man. thing you want but he was he was great uh oscar bob scored the second and to be honest that was as good a goal he went slalom like through the red a star defense yeah i like that goal and then Hamilton wins the penalty for the third, which Calvin Phillips of all people scores his first city goal from. And nice moment between him and the traveling support as well. And thanking them yeah. for, for standing up for him and, and, and standing with him in what's been a difficult time.
1: I knew he'd take that pen. Like as soon as it was awarded, Dylan loves penalties. Like it's his big thing at the moment It's like, he just wants to see everyone get a penalty. Uh, he's like, he'll hey, take the pen. And I was like, I reckon Calvin Phillips will take it. He has no idea who Calvin Phillips is by the way. Um, and I, handed him the I was like, oh, they actually are giving it to Calvin Phillips. That's cool. Um, yeah, I was, I was pleased for him actually. I'll tell you what, going back to Hamilton, there's this video going around uh, seven years ago. It was a 13 year old uh, as a ball boy at Man City and Pep's uh, encouraging him to maybe work a little bit quicker, get the ball back quicker, whatever he's, he, he pulled him aside, had a little word in his ear. You'll see this video undoubtedly on social media. Um, if you haven't seen it already. Um, but yeah, seven years later, here he is, playing in the first team, scoring. And as I saw one report say, uh, he's on his way from ball boy to boy wonder."
0: Nice, nice. Very much not throwing away his shot was the was the way I, was the way I thought of it. Right?
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's cool. You don't see many stories like that in, in modern day football, especially a club like that to to have your um yeah to have your pathway just like kind of uh featured like that the fact that there is this actual footage of pep talking to you when you're an actual kid on the sideline and then you go into a champions league match and score for him a few years later like that's absolutely mental so kind of, yeah brilliant stuff bit of romance yeah.
0: Yeah, he's been at the club since he was nine years old. So, yeah, one one for the record books. And I imagine a yeah. very happy family tonight. Uh, and the other game in that group, RB Leipzig, 1-2-1 one, one against Young Boys. All the three goals came in about a five-minute period at the start of the second half. It was it was rapid. But the first one from Benjamin Chesko is worth your time. He is making waves in Europe. And there's another one for his strike list here. It's an absolutely cracking strike. Um, As They put young boys to the sword and that's it for part one. After the break, we're going to be talking about all of Tuesday's action, including Manchester United dropping out of European competition altogether. Don't go anywhere.
2: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? for overeating, and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com. That's n-o-o-m.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
3: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app.
0: Welcome back to Ranks FC and Champions League Takeaway, where it's time to take a look at Tuesday's action. And Dean, we said we weren't going to do it. We said we weren't going to lead with Manchester United. We're going to lead with Manchester United.
1: Well, only in the second part. And and to be honest, I'm not even going to go that deep on it because um, it was pathetic. Um, It was never going to happen. I actually thought they were all right. (laughs) They were all right, mate. Was it? Pathetic might be a bit harsh, but there was... There's just not much oomph about them, is there? It's just you know, a few of them did all right. even Anthony, like it was flashes from him and stuff, but I'm not really gonna even bother going into um the performance too much. Ultimately they're out of the competition in embarrassing fashion, finishing bottom. Um no Europa League football for them either. Um pretty much a waste of time in general. Um they're now gonna My takeaway is probably the actual cost of this um, failure and that's both on and off. Financially, yeah. Yeah, because it's going to cost him like £28 million is the reported figure for going out of the Champions League early. and Normally, Man United wouldn't really have concern around that. But at a time when they don't have much um, power to go and buy players in terms of finances, that would have been handy. At uh, a time when you got the ownership changing a bit with Ineos about to come in, would have been good to be, uh, at least in Europe, in, in some shape or form. But my overall takeaway from this, mate, is that, look, Man United are, at this stage now, irrelevant too far. But if you're under 23, right, and you're a footballer, Man United definitely do not have the appeal that they have to everybody that is older than that. The United last won the Premier League 10 years ago. They last won the Champions League 15 years ago. And you look at it now and you think, anyone that was born in the early 2000s doesn't really consider Man United to be a successful football team. I remember like... When I was growing up, Liverpool just had their era of dominance uh, when I was very young. And then by the time I got to be older, it was all about Man United. And when people spoke about Liverpool, I just considered it to be the olden days. And I think that now, if you're a footballer breaking through, you're like of the next generation and you're in that bracket, I honestly think it goes up to probably twenty-three. It might be a little bit beyond the below that. Say twenty, twenty and under right now. I think you just know that you'd probably have to check with someone. Mom, I heard that Man United used to be good. Is that true? Like it's it's genuinely getting to be a bit of a a joke. Like, because they're just so far from being the club that you hear about. And I think it's going to affect them in the next couple of years in terms of getting hold of these players that could actually change that. I thought something was interesting was that I saw the
0: shirt sales for last year from the sort of top ten clubs in the world. United was still second, so there's still a massive global commercial bear market. Oh, yeah, thing, but yeah. they've been overtaken by Liverpool, which is interesting. I think just in terms of the power dynamics of that rivalry and who you know where where people will look when they're looking for. You know, the great English clubs. Now, obviously City are dominant in England mm. at the moment and their fan base will continue to grow in a worldwide fashion. Mm. But I don't think that their legacy and reputation within the game will continue to grow. Now, obviously there are question marks over all of the legalities and the, the charges and all of that, but take that aside for a minute because yeah. I don't think, you know, as a young player who if City are trying to sign you, that's probably too much in your in, yeah. in the back of your thoughts. I actually think it's about where the club is and, and what they're looking to do do and achieve and while some people will have that complex of being like i want to go and make united great again i think the more global reach of that is probably starting to die a little bit i think you're right i think there is an element that when you when you talk about football clubs and you talk about where they are in the pecking order united are quite far from the top table now
1: oh yeah they're they're very far from it um like it... And I
0: don't think they're making, I think someone like for someone like Chelsea, obviously the project isn't working particularly well in terms of results on the pitch right now. But you can kind of see the direction of travel. You can see what they're trying to achieve. I think with United, and look, lots of this goes up to the ownership and that's not to lay the blame at kind of anyone's door rather than that, but you're kind of like, what's going on? What's the, what's the plan? What's the trajectory? And I can't
1: see it. Yeah, and look, I think it was kind of defined in the fact that Last night, Man United did have a twenty-year-old up front in Rasmus Hoyland. You know, he's he's not um, certainly not a superstar at this point, but they did well to sign him, even though they definitely overpaid for him. But in an alternate universe, if things had gone Man United's way, it would have been Harry Kane up front, and that is huge. Like seeing Kane for Bayern Munich, and seeing Rasmus Hoyland playing for Man United, a player who actually has done, has a good goal scoring record, obviously in the Champions League so far, but last night had zero shots and no touches in the box and hasn't got a Premier League goal to his name so far. I'm not blaming him for this, but that's where Man United are now at. And to get back to having a player like Harry Kane seems so far away. The fact that didn't manage to get him and like for Kane to actually leave English football is significant enough Like, Tuchel's talked a few times about the fact that they stole him from English football because you wouldn't have thought Kane would ever have left. And if he was going to stay, you you would always have bet on Man United being the club he'd have gone to. I was convinced he would go there, to be honest. And he didn't. So now you're like, they lost it that much. And yeah, mate, it feels a world away that they're going to get back there. But that's my takeaway anyway. Man United just, um, I don't think we can say a, a new low. I think that um, this wasn't when the they, low. When they win their Losing game, we're going to have to call to it an Biom- unexpected high. <laughs> Losing to Bayern
0: Munich isn't a low. No. Bayern Munich
1: can beat you. But I mean, coming the the bottom of
0: the group. To of the group. So, can, can I make two points? One's a One's a kind of point, and one's actually a question that I'd point to you. Is that I, I'm glad United aren't in the Europa League because I don't like it when teams drop in and look. United got to the final last time they were in the competition, but they'd started in the competition that time. And I think there's a feeling, probably not amongst Manchester United fans, to listen to this because we cultivate a very, you know, respectful and and well informed footballing fan base on this podcast. Yeah. But generally, that the Europa League is, you know, in some way beneath them. And I think that actually, what's been quite refreshing from someone like Liverpool this year, is how seriously they've taken the competition, how seriously I think they'll continue to take the competition. I think Jürgen Klopp wants to win it because it's the the one he basically doesn't have in the tank at Liverpool. And now that that is the, the competition in front of them, I think they will go and look to win it. I think when you look at Galatasaray dropping in, Galatasaray will take the Europa League seriously and their fan yeah. base will take the Europa League seriously. And someone who obviously loves that competition... I'm grateful in some ways that United aren't in it. And I think that their fan base will be as well, in or much of the fan base will be, yeah. but probably for the wrong reasons, not because, you know, because actually we talk about Newcastle probably being able to use that as a stepping stone in order to move back or, or move up. United could probably you do with it as a stepping stone to try and actually reinstate themselves in a in a good place in European football.
1: Yeah, no, it's an interesting point, mate. Um I do take it on board and I think I'll be honest like Man United wouldn't have won the Europa League Um, they haven't got that mentality they haven't got in it they have not Liverpool in it anyway there's uh, there's no part of me that thinks United could have even been able to compete in in the latter stages of that competition anyway even if they had found themselves in it but no I can understand like you love the Europa League and you want to see clubs that want to be there and Man United, I still I think they probably feel like they're above it they're yeah. not. No, very much not. Definitely very much not. not at this
0: point. Um, one other point. So Arsenal and obviously Manchester City both won their groups. Um, and the other two English teams finished bottom of their respective groups. Now Newcastle obviously had a difficult group, but would have expected to do better out of it, I think. And Manchester United would have definitely expected to progress from theirs. They become, I think, only the second and third English teams, or third and fourth English teams, perhaps, to to finish bottom of their groups ever. There's a lot of talk about the dominance of the Premier League, but Real Madrid won their group, Real Sociedad won their group, Atletico Madrid won their group, and Barcelona won their group, albeit not particularly convincingly. And then you look at the Italian teams. Now, obviously, none of them actually won their groups. Napoli, Inter and Lazio all qualified, and Milan dropped into the Europa League, finishing third. Is the dominance of English football overstated at the very top level? And I I know that you can obviously look down the pyramid and you look at Liverpool in the Europa League, who've won their group. Aston Villa in the Europa Conference League, who are set to win their group on the final day. And there is that kind of strength in depth. And obviously West Ham have done well as well and, and will qualify from their group. So there is that kind of sense of depth, perhaps. But at the very top level, is the dominance of the Premier League
1: overstated? Um, it's it's hard to read it, like it, because the the problem you get is that like these four teams that were representing England in the Champions League this season haven't turned out to be the four best teams that could have actually been competing in that competition right now.
0: Perhaps, but actually you could probably argue the same for Italy, right? About the four teams that are currently sat at the, the top of the Serie A table.
1: Yeah, possibly. I mean, if, you, if you're if going to um, measure you'd it have properly, like, I, I guess you, you'd say, okay, well, Man City and Arsenal are potentially the two best teams we've got in the Premier League anyway right now. So, one of them should go on and win it. And I think that there's an argument to be made that, yeah, you should expect one of those two to go and win it. Um, Man City should be able to fight to retain that title. I don't think they'll be able to. I think that for them to now fight, like they're going to have to, to win the Premier League and also hold on to the Champions League. I mean, that is just such, such a big ask of this squad to go again like Pep's already talked about the mental resilience and the physical difficulties that are going to go into winning the Premier League again and no one's ever won it that many times if they do it it'll be unbelievable there's a reason nobody's ever done it because of what it takes to do it and to keep evolving So to expect them to win a Champions League alongside that is short so you've probably got a good point mate I mean maybe maybe it is overregged I mean I don't know if there's more pressure on English teams to win it inside England than from outside anyway. I don't I don't know how much fear there is anymore of English teams, to be honest.
0: I just saw Paul Merson speaking before the game between Newcastle and AC Milan, and it wound me up because he was like, I don't think there's any way that Newcastle don't win this game. Now, I'm not saying that that's the the general <laughs> viewpoint of everybody in England, but that the, I was like, this is a Newcastle's team who were out on their feet against Tottenham. I was like, even at full strength, I think Milan give Newcastle a, pretty good game i think that there's not much between those two teams and so with this amount of injury and you know this much on the line i think it's absolutely mad to say that there's no way that he could see milan winning this game and i do think there's just an element of that
1: there's a bit of arrogance to it all isn't there yeah i mean the premier league because we do have the most money in our league we do I don't think we attract the best players necessarily. Like, we don't always get the best players. And we've seen Harry Kane, our well, best players, leave the league. Um, so I don't think that's there anymore. But it's just, a, it's all a bit vulgar, I think, really, because there is an arrogance. And a lot of it's based around financial power. And that's because of the way that the Premier League did this amazing marketing of the product years back. and managed to build it. At a time when nobody else was putting that same focus on global branding, and the Premier League got the got the leg up from the that. shark, yeah, yeah, and then, and and our teams have benefited from it and continue to do so. Um, but they're also overpaying for average talent a lot of the time, like Man United have been, and they're feeling the force of that, and they're actually falling away. So actually, it's it's starting to cost us a little bit. Um, it's funny, like Merson saying. That about Newcastle, I mean, mate, I'll be honest, Fulham playing in Newcastle the weekend, I'm watching that thinking, blimey, we might have a chance. Well, <laughs> They've got they no energy it was, left
0: in the it tank. They were quite tired at the end. <laughs> so They've got nothing that's left the big in big the hope. tank now. That is the big hope. Um, all right, let's run through a couple of these other games. Um, my big takeaway from Union Berlin to Real Madrid 3 was, well, actually I have two. One, what pleasure it's been to have these Union Berlin fans in the Champions Mm. League. They have been remarkable. In a stadium that was not their own, in a stadium they were not happy to be in, they have been there every single step of the way. And they deserved more than what they got. They've run Real Madrid twice very, very close. My second takeaway is that this Madrid's team, they hate losing. It doesn't matter how many changes have been made. It doesn't matter who's on the pitch. Ancelotti has instilled this spirit. Real Madrid had won the group. It was done. It was dusted. There was nothing lying on this game for them. And even still, you know, 1-0 down and then at 2 all after they're pegged back late on by this incredible fanatical stadium, they go and find a way. And it was the, the kind of work ethic, the bite of this side, and the fact that the celebrations were so intense when Danny Ceballos scored the winner. Now, you know, granted it might be because Ceballos doesn't score very often and obviously has come back from the brink at Real Madrid and, and made a mark here. But just the way that they hunger to win every game, especially in this competition, is remarkable. And like nobody else, I think, And everybody wants to win. This Real Madrid side, they fear, almost like fear the idea of losing. And it's it's incredible what it produces sometimes in terms of these all-action performances.
1: I told you last time, mate, they're going to win it. Um I'm convinced. I'm convinced that Real Madrid are going to win it this season. You're convinced
0: uh, Real Madrid are going to win it most seasons. And to be fair, you're often right.
1: There's not like, they're not supremely like, you know, a lot of seasons they would genuinely be the best team in the tournament. And I don't think necessarily they are the best football team in the Champions League, but they've got other things going for them that a lot of the clubs haven't and... That is uh, a determination to live up to the expectation, which isn't evident at the moment at other clubs like Barcelona. It wasn't evident at Man United. It uh, wasn't uh, something that AC Milan were capable of, of pulling off. At Real Madrid, it's ingrained in them. This this well, this tournament obviously is like basically theirs like they can. But the new players theirs.
0: come in and, and they immediately seem to just get it I, i'm not sure what they do or, or how they sort of
1: instruct them on what it means i to think be you go to this thing called champions madrid league Eastern. school as soon as you sign honestly
0: <laughs> like it sounds ridiculous but actually generally and you have to pass all, all the exams, exams
1: and then you can play <laughs> but there's something going on and i want to know what
0: because they yeah. just seem to understand immediately exactly what it was frank garcia obviously was a madrid you know kid in the academy was brilliant last night. He's had a terrible time of it, to be honest, since coming back. He's been in and out of the side. He's been criticised for his defensive ability. He was everywhere yesterday. Bellingham is always everywhere, so that wasn't a particular surprise. But, you know, Sabayos coming on and, and making the difference, there was just a lot about this performance. You were like, that's a side who know exactly what they're about. And even with this kind of resurgent union, who've saved their best for this competition, even if they've come bottom of their group, you know, to, to come back and, and and make the difference from behind to begin with, and then obviously to to win it late on. Yeah, stunning yeah, absolutely. incredible stuff from Real Madrid mm. once again. Um the other takeaway I have is that Benfica found a backbone. They won oh. 3-1 RB Salzburg. They needed to win by two clear goals to guarantee Europa League football. They're already out of, of qualifying for the Champions League. And they went 2-0 up relatively quickly in they you know, both goals in the first half. Angel Di Maria scored a, an Olympic goal from a free kick. Everything good about Benfica at the moment in this competition seems to come through Di Maria. Um, yeah. He's just an incredible football, And then he slipped through Rafa Silva to score the second just before half time. And it was like, okay, Benfica are currently in the position that they need to be in in order to qualify for the Europa League. But equally, they were 3-0 up against Inter in, in Lisbon. Last time out, and they drew 3-3. So I'm not putting anything past them. And then obviously Salzburg come out after the break and they score. Yeah. And you're going, okay, here we go again. Yeah. And Benfica missed chance after chance after chance after chance. It was it was almost flabbergasting how many chances Rafa Silva missed in the second <laughs> half. And then late in added time. Arta Cabral, who moved from Fiorentina in the summer and has another one that's had a pretty rough time of it since he switched clubs, hasn't been able to make his mark on his Benfica side. A lot of people questioning. There were groans when he came on from the Benfica faithful. And he scores this ridiculous sort of on-the-twist flick (laughs) uh, to send them through into the Europa League. And the celebration's absolutely mighty. And suddenly I was like, oh, there you are. That's what you've been searching for. That's the moment. And to be honest, they didn't deserve over the course of these six games, Benfica haven't deserved to have got through in third place. They were the worst team in this group over the six games, but they've got it done. And this was a massive win in order to put themselves into Europa League. And again, you know, we talk about different clubs having different approaches. Benfica will look at the Europa League and go, opportunity. Oh, yeah, Because obviously yeah. last year they had a brilliant year in the Champions League, got through to the quarterfinals, and then were eventually knocked out. But I think they went much further. They, you know, beat Juventus and PSG to top spot in their group to begin with. They had some, you know, miraculous performances in the competition. They will look at the Europa League and go, yeah, thank you very much. And to get there in this kind of fashion, I think also allows you that lift to kind of go, right, we've got there now. We're going for it as opposed to dropping down from second, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. No, I think that does make a lot of sense, mate. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, it comes down to the different mindsets that you get that get from sides and they seem to have um that realism about them, which is Well, they need it because they've not been very good. No I know <laughs> but, but they you know they found a way They here. still seek to be better every season and think that they might be able to push on. You don't enter the the season any other way. But like you say, they'll they'll continue to take it seriously and that's that's what you want.
0: Yeah. Okay. A team that are into the last 16 for just the second time ever. Copenhagen beat Galatasaray 1 0 at Parker. And the atmosphere here was absolutely electric. Unbelievable, the scenes. And Parker is such a cool stadium. It's one of those ones I'm like, that is a bucket list ground. Yeah. And it seems like a strange one. A lot of people be going, bucket list, Copenhagen's ground. But the way that it rocked during the Euros, obviously for Denmark, the way that it always seems to deliver on the European stage for Copenhagen, it's incredible. Um, And the fans were in full voice. Another goal for Lucas Leraha. And then he got sent off, which is the only, only blot on the copy book for Copenhagen. But the big takeaway, I think they would have qualified, obviously anyway, with a draw. But the way that they dug in late on to protect this lead, there was the most ridiculous triple save on the line from this sort of Galatasaray onslaught towards the end of the game. Remarkable. Um, And Copenhagen going to be fun, I think, in in the knockout stages. They've got nothing to lose whatsoever. They will give anyone a game and that stadium is going to be a very, very special place to be when that round of 16 comes out. So fair play to them um, it was it was it was a very good atmosphere uh, and a very cool yeah. thing for them to qualify
1: yeah i mean obviously all the teams that are in the the first pot will be probably hoping that they play against them but the good thing about being in that situation is that you're like you're just there for, you're there for the occasion but you're not there to just Go through the motions. You're going to give it absolutely everything. It is. It is now a cup final. Like it's going to be an unbelievable experience. And they've shown that they're more than just you know. Can say a two bob team. Well, <laughs> I guess yeah. I think you would have looked at it at the start. You would not have expected them to be in this situation because you would have written them off as not having the. Pedigree they were written off as fourth
0: in this group. Never yeah, mind exactly. not qualifying. Yeah. So I mean, for them to turn that around is remarkable. And United fans can take some solace in the fact that there'll be at least one Hoyland in <laughs> knockout stages because Oscar came off the bench very late on oh, yesterday. That's embarrassing for us, is Oh, I mean not dinner anytime soon, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, Lons beat Sevilla 2-1 to reach the Europa League, which is cool. Um, it was a mad game, this. The early kickoffs were the PSV Arsenal game and the Lons Sevilla game. And if anyone decided that isn't an Arsenal fan or a PSV fan, that they were going to watch that one as a neutral rather than Lons Sevilla, Head check, please. This <laughs> had everything. It was incredible. Um, first half quite cagey. Uh, both teams sort of feeding each other out, and then second half exploded into life. Long's got a penalty. Frankowski absolutely buried it, and from there you go. Lon's only need a draw. Surely they can't throw it away from here. Then Sevilla get a penalty. Sergio Ramos steps up, misses the penalty. Was saved by Bruce Somba. and then everyone goes absolutely mental in the Bolera, and. People are going mad everywhere. Referee, about after about 20, 30 seconds, pulls it back. Keeper off his line. Ramos, the ball's on him, to be fair. Steps up again and penankas it.
3: <laughs>
0: Scores. Becomes the top-scoring go- uh, defender in the competition's history with 17. And then, when trying to win the ball back, just boots Bree Sombra and gets booked for it. I was like, that man will never change whatsoever. Honestly, um, he won't. But then he did miss... A pretty big chance to actually put Sevilla 2-1 up. And in the dying minutes, Lons hit the break and Angelo Fulghini scored the goal. Now, Fulghini grew up as a Lons fan. He signed, I think, from Angers a couple of summers back for Lons. He grew up as a Lons fan in this part of the country, scored the winning goal to send them through, and the place went absolutely ballistic. So they're through to the Europa League. They're gonna be no easy game. Obviously, Arsenal found that out to their, their detriment earlier in the group. Their ball Air is a Difficult place to go. And Lawns are going to be fun, I think, in the Europa League. They've got a a good side, an interesting side, and they're ticking along quite nicely. So I was delighted for them. Obviously, Sevilla not going to be able to defend their trophy. Might be the best thing that could happen to Sevilla because currently they are closer to the relegation zone. Well, that they look like they're going to be in a relegation battle right now as opposed to fighting for Europe. They'll probably pull away, but they haven't been convincing whatsoever even after a change of management that brought Diego Alonso in. So, yeah, actually might be the, the thing that Sevilla need. Although mm-hmm. I kind of said that last season and they went not to run the competition anyway. So okay. who knows? Who knows? But um, yeah, a good one. Alonso are going to be lots of fun. PSV drew one all with Arsenal. A good goal from Nketiah. Not huge amounts to report to Be honest oh. about, about this game, it, it was an opportunity that we thought that Mikel Arteta might blood some of the youngest players. There was an opportunity a opportunity. the game, mate. Yeah, he did, he did all right, did yeah. fine. Um, there was nothing he could do about the goal, bounced off the post and goes in. It's a really good sure really he won't play strike. the next one, but never mind. Yeah, good goal from Jorby Vitessen. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those games. I thought Noet, uh, Ethan Noaneri was going to come on, yeah, but he didn't. Uh, he could have been the youngest. Arsenal player in Champions League history which would have been a nice touch but Arteta nice came touch. out afterwards and spoke about it he was like look we've got three injuries we had to make the changes about it we wanted to give them some time if the game was comfortable we've made a lot of changes there was a lot of new players on the pitch and I didn't think it was the right opportunity and actually I kind of respected it because he, he, he fronted up to it and was like look if we'd been 2 nil up then I might have brought them on but I wasn't going to yeah. do that when the game was in the balance and then it might have been an uncomfortable one and you know what I thought it was a fair point
1: Declan Rice at centre-back Bit of experimenting, uh, gave, gave that a little bit of a, a little bit of a bash, which is something we might see uh, at some stage in the season. Don't know if that was um, just as a, a test to see in case you know Arsenal find themselves in the sort of predicament last season, as when Rob Holding suddenly marking Erling Haaland. You don't want that to happen again next time. It might be Declan Rice. Uh, well, we don't want that to happen. Either, to we honest. don't really want that to happen, but um, he's more than capable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Arsenal fans were a bit mad that they had a goal ruled out that Kivio scored. Um but Gabriel is definitely definitely trying to play the ball. Um and he's definitely offside. So I'm not quite sure why everyone was going so mad about that one. At uh, Napoli won 2-0 against Braga. Again, pretty routine this, but I got a little bit unlucky in the second half not to pull one back. but They needed to win by two clear goals to actually go through in this game and they were never going to score four against his Napoli side. Natan did well on the left, at left back, which was interesting. He's played centre-back, came in as a centre-back, basically as a Kim Min-Jai replacement mm-hmm. um, and played left back here. Did really well. Set up the second goal for Rossum so fair play to him. And, and then finally, Inter drew nil-nil with Real Sociedad. A little bit of a funny one. This meant the Real Sociedad won the group. Inzaghi had to win to in order to, to make sure that they came top seed. Inzaghi made a lot of changes. He started Alexis Sanchez up front with Marcus Turam instead of Lautaro. He dropped Barella. They made a lot of sort of minor changes in this setup. And then Inter couldn't get going, didn't get the win. Lautaro couldn't shift the tide of the game when he came on. And Altovic came on at the same time, which meant that there was never a point in this game where Turam and Lautaro were playing alongside each other. It's got a little bit of heat from the Italian press for basically over-rotating, although they have another massive game coming up this weekend and yeah. he does need to use his squad it was a funny one if they'd won 1-0 he would have been praised to, you know he was praised would have been sung for the way that he'd utilize his squad but as it is these are the twists and turns of football you win you get praise you lose you don't
1: yeah i mean they have got a big game because they're playing Lazio i'm pretty sure that's sunday night and this game was tuesday night he does have a good, squ- and you know, he does have a good squad. And Inter have yeah. built their squad really well, and, and been
0: able to mix it around. And it's not something that's new to Inzaghi, especially in terms of mixing up his forward line.
2: Yeah, I think that
1: is a strange one. You're right. Um, yeah, it's hard to understand that, but they'll be fine. I mean, look, the way that this is all panned out now, um, we're all set for for Monday's draw, aren't we? Um, the last sixteen, it's all there, and yeah, Inter will be in pot two. Um, they're a side a that nobody will want no well this is the thing and they could still end up with um,
0: if we could have a repeat
1: of last week's final <laughs> last year's final yeah I mean that would be I hope we do actually I'd like to see something like that I want to see a one massive game and that's probably the Well, obviously, PSG actually are in pot two as well, aren't they? Barcelona are getting
0: PSG, as our friend Mohamed Butts just said. He's a guaranteed. And I said, well, it is the heritage of this competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We'll, um, I'm sure, break down that one pretty soon. We will
0: indeed. We will indeed. And with that, it's probably time for us to call it a day. So, all that's left for me to do is say thank
1: you very much to our Champions League guru, Miss Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Was it? the Champions League draw that I missed that time and then you broke it to me across a whole episode and I just like listened oh the groups I think wasn't it it was the groups it was, it was the groups shall I do it again let's see how we do because it's see. actually on, it's might, on Monday at 11 people.
0: you're going to have might. to find you're going to find it very difficult I think to stay off it for a whole day before we record it but we'll see how we go and mm. um, we'll be back on the Patreon feed tomorrow where we'll be looking at all the Europa League and Europa Conference League action and who makes it through to the playoff rounds and the rounds of 16 in those competitions. So please do give that a go. We're in free trial mode ahead of Christmas. And then obviously there's January to look forward to with all the Dean's updates on the transfer window. So it's a good time to get involved. Thank you so much for listening to Ranks FC. We'll see you very shortly, Ranks Squad. Take it easy. Peace.
3: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call, quitgrainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app.